Hello, and welcome to People of the Pod, brought to you by AJC. Each week, we take you beyond the headlines and help you understand what it all means for Israel and the Jewish people. I'm Sefi Kogan. And I'm Manya Brashear-Pashman. For nearly a year, planning has been underway for AJC to open an office in the United Arab Emirates. Last week, with Israel and the UAE inking peace deals and normalizing relations, AJC announced those plans to the world. Joining us now to discuss the history of AJC's work in the UAE and our plans for the future is the architect of AJC's Middle East strategy, AJC Chief Policy and Political Affairs Officer, Jason Isaacson. Jason, thank you for joining us. It's good to be here, Sefi. Can you tell us a bit about your first visit to the UAE? When was it? What kind of butterflies maybe did you have in your stomach at the time? What was the country like then? What did you do? I don't know. Maybe it all runs together in your mind. But if you can reminisce back and share some of those recollections with us. Well, it was 2000, so 20 years ago, and very small delegation. It was myself and a senior AJC board member. It was a very different place. There were roads that were not paved. <laughs> it was, uh, there were not 150-story office towers. The rate of expansion, sophistication, worldliness, openness has just been meteoric, uh, what has happened over that period. So the UAE that AJC visited two decades ago is not the UAE of today, which is a modern, dynamic, ambitious, creative open place and welcoming of people from every corner of the world. It is often said that they have something like 200 nationalities in the UAE. 2019 was declared the year of tolerance, and they have extended that tolerance promotion, which translates into tolerance inaptly, frankly, from the Arabic. It's a really more open description than tolerance itself. It really conveys more mutual respect and welcoming. But that has been the spirit that has been directed really from the top down, but absorbed by the society in, in so many ways that there is an expatriate Jewish community in the UAE, but also Jewish communities from really all, not, not Jewish communities, it's going to be religious communities, religious factions from every possible branch of every faith practicing in that country. What we tried to do 20 years ago when we first went to the UAE and what we have continued to do over those years in smaller and larger group visits and just sometimes single visits by myself has been to explain the Jewish people to civil society leaders and government officials, learn from them their concerns about the region, hear from them their aspirations for a more stable, secure regional architecture explore the possibility of developing a relationship with the sole Middle East democracy that actually also is a country that has different faiths and respects diversity, celebrates diversity, and that is Israel. And that also has strategic concerns that are common to the UAE and other countries, other Sunni Arab countries in the Gulf. By the way, I should point out that HAC has been elsewhere in the Gulf, going back even further, back to 1994 was our first visit to the Gulf. It was developing these relationships, developing uh, friendships, opening doors, disabusing people of various uh, misconceptions they might have, they might have been taught about the Jewish people, introducing a narrative about Israel that was contrary to the narrative that was widely available in the media and in school curricula, but that was consistent with the way we saw the region and the way many in the world see the region and the possibilities of 
a very different political and cultural context than was kind of enforced over so many decades. I've seen estimates that there are as many as a thousand Jews today in the UAE. I'm not sure if that's a little high, a little low. Suffice to say, there were not a thousand Jews in the UAE 20 years ago. So you were very much a trailblazer at the time. It wasn't your first kind of foray into the Arab world, but were you nervous to be a, a Jewish person heading to, to the Emirates in, in 2000? No, not the least. Um, yes, you're right. Uh, there was a very tiny Jewish community when we were there 20 years ago. Maybe it was just the two of us who were visiting at the time. <laughs> Although that's not really accurate, because, of course, there have been Jewish engineers and lawyers and uh, doctors and other experts, professionals who have come into work in the energy companies there and consulting companies of various kinds and other businesses as well, of course. But there was not what you would describe as a Jewish community. There were individual Jews. That changed. For many years, when HAC would visit, we would host a Shabbat dinner and service in a banquet, a small banquet room in a, in a hotel that we would occupy. And we would invite those Jews we knew were there to come and be with us on a Friday evening. And we would continue this ritual year after year. And the group would meet other people, other Jews in the UAE and Dubai mostly, but a little bit in Abu Dhabi as well and, and, and other Emirates. And they would gather together, convened by HAC un, until about five, six years ago, maybe it goes back seven years, when the community had grown enough, the network had expanded enough that people were meeting in a villa and were conducting services not only on Friday evening, but on Saturday as well. And gradually that sort of villa operation grew and became a very substantial Jewish enterprise in, in the UAE. And then really just in the last two years, I think it really was in the fall of 2018, so almost two years, when there was the first public declaration in the local media that there was a Jewish community. Until that time, people had been very quiet as they would gather at this villa on a Saturday. They would be careful about how they would arrive. They wouldn't come in a bus. They would come individually in cars. There was no sign outside the villa that said that it was a Jewish center of any kind. But that changed two years ago, and now there is a robust community. It's not large. I don't think it's a thousand people, but it's certainly in the hundreds. And they have organized the Jewish Council of the Emirates. There is a chief rabbi of the Jewish community of the Emirates, uh, Rabbi Yehuda Sarna, who is the NYU Hillel rabbi in New York. But because NYU has a campus in Abu Dhabi, he is frequently in Abu Dhabi as well. And he has been adopted by the community as their chief rabbi. And we have regular Friday Zoom um, Kabbalat Shabbat services that I and others in HAC have been invited to participate in and sometimes speak in these services. David Harris has spoken. I've spoken. Uh, David Rosen, our colleague in Jerusalem, uh, our international director of interreligious affairs. So HAC is very fully embedded in this community and supportive of and admiring of this community. And we will continue to work with it as we make our plans to establish an ongoing permanent presence in the UAE, which we just announced a week ago. One thing I've heard from countless Middle East experts over the years has been that the Israeli-Palestinian conflict represents a kind of glass ceiling on the potential for Israel's relationship with the Gulf states. Now, in the span of less than a month, we've seen Israel and the UAE announce and proceed along the path toward full peace and normalization between the two countries. And a proudly Zionist Jewish organization like AJC is opening an office in the Emirates. What should we make of that maxim today that there's this kind of limit to how far Israel's relationship with the Arab nations can go? The reality is that Israel has had quiet relations with many Arab states um, 
even with this formal declaration by the Arab League and enforced from time to time in various Arab summits, that there would be no normalization of relations with Israel. Despite that official stance, there have been unofficial contacts and quite extensive unofficial contacts at the intelligence level, security level, but also with businesses. There have been many Israeli business relationships that have developed uh, with folks in the Gulf and in North Africa over decades. And there are products and services that uh, go back and forth, which is uh, exciting. And now it can be really built on in a much more open and sustained, and I think mutually satisfying way. What we've started seeing just in the last couple of years, especially, I think maybe I would trace some of this to the October 2018 visit of Prime Minister Netanyahu to Oman, where he was greeted by the then Sultanate of Oman, not having a diplomatic relationship with Israel, but having invited the Prime Minister of Israel to come and, and, and meet with the Sultan. From that point, and there were other events that occurred in that same several months of two Israeli ministers going to the UAE, to one to a telecommunications conference, one to a sport, international sporting event. Of course, in the summer of 2019, you had the Bahraini hosting of the Peace to Prosperity Conference. Over the course of months, multiple declarations by influential Arab leaders to the effect that um, they understood that decades of pretending that Israel doesn't exist hasn't helped the Palestinians. That if we are trying to advance Palestinian statehood, a two-state solution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, what we've been doing for decades hasn't really done that. There haven't been serious negotiations since the Oslo Accords. Nothing has moved forward since 1993. How can we continue to insist on doing something that is obviously not working? Let's try a different path. And frankly, AJC for a quarter century has been encouraging a different path. We've been saying to foreign ministers and heads of state and various other officials and business people, if you want to help the Palestinians, you'll do a better job if you are talking to the Israelis, if you are encouraging them to move forward, if you are looking over the shoulders of negotiators and trying to push things in a direction that makes sense for you and makes sense for your Palestinian cousins. So some of this is, of course, common threats, the common threat from extremism, the common threat posed by an aggressive Iran. These are concerns that Israelis and Gulf Arabs have naturally. But it's more than that. It's the opportunities that could exist, that could be exploited by a real relationship with Israel, an over-the-table relationship with Israel. Now comes the news that AJC is uh, is opening an office in the UAE. It'll be our 13th overseas post. What kind of work will that office do? Is it going to be focused solely on the UAE or also work with other countries in the Gulf to try to deepen our relationships there? We started working on plans to open an office in the UAE well before this announcement, when one of the objectives at the end of the line was the establishment of diplomatic relations. Now that that has accelerated and is moving forward so quickly, and in fact, I think the finishing touches are being put on an agreement between Israel and the UAE, we will develop other aspects of an agenda that we've been laying out over the last year. Um, that has to do with uh, with interfaith relations. Um, AJC has already for several years been involved in, uh, in efforts in the UAE to deepen um, Muslim-Christian-Jewish relations. And in fact, as you know, the UAE has announced plans um, in the next couple of years to build what, what they're calling an Abrahamic family house, which will be a, a synagogue, a church, and a mosque on a complex in Abu Dhabi that will also have educational programming, exhibit space. We hope to be able to do more to, uh, to contribute to, uh, to, to, to that planning as well and to participate in some of the programs that will take place. 
So interfaith is one aspect of it. We will, we will be there. We will be able to engage in these discussions with higher committee in the UAE that is dealing with these issues. We would like to be able to use a base in the UAE to reach out to others in the Arab world. This will be AJC's first office in the Arab world. We have maintained relations with North African and Gulf and Levant countries for many years by flying in as often as possible and meeting with officials when they come to the United States and meeting with their embassies and their diplomats posted around the U.S. But this will be much more satisfying, much more direct to have the ability in a few hours to be in another Arab capital. The possibility exists that AJC could serve as a an introducer, a connector, a networker for business people and also civil society organizations in Israel and in the United States and in the Arab world, I think we'll be quite busy. We don't expect to have a staff of 50 people in the UAE. We'll start small, as we have in other places, and we will have friends, and we will deepen those friendships. And we'll also be able to set up some exchange programs, I hope, between uh, U.S. and Emirati officials and student leaders and others, and introducing more and more of our people, our concerns, our aspirations to this dynamic culture in the Gulf. Um, just before we close, I want to throw a, a critique at you that I've heard. A friend of mine who's a, a journalist with a Jewish publication threw a critique at me over the weekend, um, and I've seen this echoed a few other times on Twitter as well. In addition to the words enhancing the well-being of the Jewish people and Israel, AJC's mission statement also includes the words advancing democratic values around the world. It's very obvious, I think, to everyone how an AJC office in the Emirates relates to the former, the part about the well-being of Jews and Israel. But how will our first office, based in a non-democratic country, reckon with the part of our mission statement that talks about democratic values? Uh, it's an interesting question, Sefi, and a complicated one. Over the many years that AJC has been operating internationally, we have been exercising our diplomacy in many different countries, in many different settings, multilaterally and bilaterally. We have encountered governments that have political systems that we don't find necessarily compatible with American constitutional principles. We have nevertheless found ways to advance our interests and our concerns and our community's uh, long-term aspirations by dealing with specific issues that are at the top of our agenda, listening to the folks we are talking to, but not necessarily feeling compelled to agree with every aspect of how that country operates. We hope that through time and through modeling of our principles and our behavior, we can perhaps have some long-term influence in countries where we might share some concerns and some values, but not all. We are not going uh, around the world to change every society. We are there to protect the interests of the Jewish people and to advance normal relations with and respect for Israel and widen the protection for minorities universally and respect for human rights universally. But we will steer our way through this challenging environment in every country we operate in, as we have learned to do through more than a century of diplomatic activity. It may be challenging from time to time, but I will tell you that in a country like the UAE, which celebrates tolerance, which has expressed a desire for close relations with the Middle East's sole democracy, which aspires to an even closer, deeper relationship with the United States, we have a lot to work with. And we are looking forward to working with our friends in the UAE. 
Well, the opening of this office is a very exciting step for our organization, Jason, and one for which you are due tremendous kudos. So congratulations on the step and thank you so much for joining us here on AJC's People of the Pod. Thank you very much, Steph. It was a pleasure. Now it's time for our closing segment, Shabbat Table Talk. And joining us at our Shabbat table this week is Naomi Ravik, the newly appointed program associate in AJC's Young Leadership Department, often called the best department at AJC. Naomi, when you're talking with your family at your Shabbat table this weekend, what are you going to be talking about? Thank you, Sefi, for having me back for Shabbat Table Talk. It is such a pleasure. My family has been talking about Black Jewish unity this whole week and our own forms of intersectionality, so I expect our Shabbat table will be no different. Coming from an inter-race family, these conversations about being Black and Jewish have always been a part of the discourse of my life, but I'm really excited to see that AJC and the National Urban League are taking these incredible steps to not only acknowledge the history of these two communities working together, but to also talk about the intersection of what it means to be a part of both. For me, I've never felt that being Black and Jewish is an obstacle. I do oftentimes feel caught between two different planes of being both Black and Jewish, and I've definitely had the experience of feeling othered by one community or the other. The feeling of being othered isn't necessarily one of exclusion, rather one of being highlighted for your differences. But I've never felt this as a challenge for me to overcome, more so another part of my identity that I have to reconcile with the world around me, like anything else. My mom and I have been discussing our own unique perspectives, her as a Black Jew and myself as a biracial Jew of a different generation. We've been talking a lot about our similar experiences as well as our many different ones, and I've been reflecting on how fortunate I feel that we've made so many strides in the last 40 or so years. Black Jewish Unity Week has come at such an opportune time considering everything that's going on in the world recently, from the protests surrounding racial equality in this country and the rising anti-Semitism, to a Black woman being nominated to a major party ticket for the first time in American history. As Dr. John Eve said on the program earlier this week about the experience of Jews of color in America, I believe that we're at a crucial jumping off point, but that the work will truly be done when we no longer have to identify as Jews of color, when we can walk into any Jewish space and just be Jewish. I've never been prouder to be a Jewish woman of color, and I'm so thankful that AJC has taken this week to highlight these stories. I'm looking forward to the day when I can just be who I am without having to define myself. But for now, I'm proud to see that kids who grew up like I did have the opportunity to see their story shared on a platform like AJC's and the National Urban Leagues. I'm optimistic that the work isn't stopping with this week and that this movement is only just reigniting. Thanks, Sefi. You heard a bit about this program already in Naomi's beautiful Shabbat Table Talk. But this week, AJC featured three Jews who are Black in one of our Black Jewish Unity Week programs in partnership with the National Urban League. Rabbi Sandra Lawson, the Associate Chaplain for Jewish Life at North Carolina's Elon University, Tiffany Harris, the Chief Program Officer for the International Jewish Community Building Organization Moshe House, and Dr. John Eaves, the former Chairman of the County Commission in Atlanta's Fulton County, and a member of AJC Atlanta's regional office board, joined in conversation with Dove Wilker, AJC's director of Black Jewish Relations, to discuss their experiences being both Black and Jewish. When AJC first worked with the National Urban League to conceive of Black Jewish Unity Week, there was a risk of reinforcing an erroneous binary, of putting a slash between the words Black 
and Jewish, of implying that it's only possible to be one or the other, to be black or Jewish. We knew we had to avoid that because we know that there are too many Jews who are black, who are members in our communities, who are leaders in our community, like Rabbi Sandra and Tiffany and John, and I might add, like Naomi. Ignoring those Jews is not only an affront to them, but it robs the broader Jewish community of the full breadth of our diversity. Depending on your definition and how you count, somewhere between 5% and 15% of the American Jewish community are people of color. It is critical that we see those Jews, that we engage those Jews in our organizations, and that we work to ensure that our community fully embraces those Jews in all that we do. Judaism puts a high value on welcoming the stranger, because we ourselves were strangers in the land of Egypt. If that's the case with strangers, think how much higher the value is on welcoming all of our Jewish brothers and sisters, regardless of the color of their skin. If you haven't thought much about this before, or even if you have, I hope that you will head to AJC.org to watch the recording of that remarkable conversation. I hope that you'll discuss this imperative to welcome all Jews at your Shabbat table. I know I will at mine. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. You can subscribe to People of the Pod on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify, or learn more at AJC.org slash People of the Pod. The views and opinions of our guests don't necessarily reflect the positions of AJC. We'd love to hear your views and opinions or your questions. You can reach us at peopleofthepod at AJC.org. If you like this podcast, be sure to rate it and write a review to help more listeners find us. Thank you for listening. This episode is brought to you by AJC. Our producer is Kukong Do. Our assistant producer is Atara Lakritz. And our sound engineer is TK Broderick. Tune in next week for another episode of People of the Pod.